Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Now, typically, Sheena, the people that are on the podcast, you know, because you have a crazy network, you know a lot of people, and usually when we're like, hey, we should get this person on the podcast, Sheena's like, hey, I know them. I, I, I know them personally <laughs> or professionally. This week, I was uh, happy to return the favor. We have Kyle Coleman, who is the VP of Revenue Growth and Enablement at Clary. And we actually met a couple years ago I was uh, when I was a sales rep at Gong trying to close Looker, which is where, uh, where Kyle mm. was. Spoiler alert, the deal did not close, so I'll just uh, let that be known. And, and don't blame <laughs> Kyle, guys. He's a good guy. Uh, I did my best. I take the blame. I could have closed it, probably should have. <laughs> um, but we've stayed in touch over the years. He's, he's a really, really good guy, and he's soared his career from being an SDR uh, a few years back, and like I said, now he's a VP. So I was really pumped to get him on the podcast today. I would say that's the theme in the context that you know. They are from prospecting or selling to those folks <laughs> in prior experiences, which I don't have the benefit of doing that. <laughs> yes, yes. Luckily, I have kept friends both from closed one and closed lost opportunities. And uh, who would know a few years later, I've got a podcast with you and we're having them on as guests. So Exactly, exactly. And so um, we'll talk about it a little bit, but I'm curious, Sheena, do you have a favorite Slack channel in Gong? Because we obviously use Slack. Yeah, I think these days I really love the sales channel specifically because it mm -hmm. provides that visibility of, you know, what's going on across teams. Um, I get to see the wins from SDRs, like whenever they book a meeting, I get to see what company it's with. Everyone provides their like super fun emoji reactions. Um, and it, it, you know, brings a little bit of that energy that we would otherwise experience in the office. You hear people cheering when we close a deal or, uh, you know, people high-fiving each other for, for getting something across the line. So these days, that is definitely my favorite channel. I have to agree. I have to agree. As you imagine, Gong has a big gong at the office. We haven't heard it in a while, though mm -hmm. we do have a virtual gong you can check out. Um, but yeah, I, I'm the same way. Like I, I try to stay off Slack unless I'm kind of have a few minutes to really dedicate to like communicating and stuff. But yeah, jumping into the Slack channel, seeing the wins is a really, really cool way to keep the momentum going and let you know, hey, there's there's some, some celebrations uh, worth having. And and Kyle will talk about that as well. So we, he talks a little bit about his career path how he's managing, and some really interesting stuff around SDR Freedom Week, where he took away all activity metrics. And I'm just going to leave it at that. You're going to have to listen to see what, why, mm -hmm. what, why, and, and how that panned out. So let's go ahead and uh, hang out with our friend Kyle. Thanks for making some time and stopping by Reveal. I really appreciate it, Devin. Thank you so much. Great to have you. And, and to kick it off, what's your advice for a pr productive work-from-home setup, since we're all at home these days? Yeah, um, I really think it's important to put on real pants. I really mean it. Like start your day, 
get out of the sweats, put on real pants. It's some psychological thing that has been helpful for me. So if you take nothing else away from this podcast, try and bookend your day with the clothing that you wear. That is a great uh, suggestion, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of a reminder of what life was like. Um, You feel a little bit more professional when you're not in your leggings or your sweatpants or your PJs. So uh, definitely great reminder. Do you have any personal funny stories um, or interesting incidents that have happened since you've been at home? So many. In fact, the one that's most top of mind is the one that happened about 10 minutes ago where the recording of this podcast was delayed because my Safeway (laughs) delivery was coming. (laughs) So this kind of stuff happens all the time. You know, you get kids jumping in their parents' laps and you get um, the dogs barking in the background, the garbage people doing their thing. Like it happens. Get over it. It it doesn't detract from your productivity. Um, So as long as you have a good attitude about it, there's really nothing that can set you too far back. And, and I'm a proud uh, bulldog lover and owner, and I know that you're a proud corgi owner, Kyle. So can you give me a mock pitch of why corgis? Do you want me to appeal to your emotional side, or do you need me to appeal to your logical side? Well, I would say which one do you think would work best, but if you lean towards emotional, I won't take that personally either. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well the emotional side is easy. I mean, have you? all you have to do is get the rear view. You see that corgi butt and I don't know how you could possibly like <laughs> unmelt your heart um, after that. So the emotional side is easy. The logical side is maybe a little bit more region specific here. But um, before we started recording, we were just talking about the insane rent prices in the Bay Area. Um, people who renters here and even property owners, not famous for the amount of square footage that you have. And so having a compact dog is a nice sort of way to not have your apartment or your house close in on yourself. Um, And what's nice about corgis is that they really are medium-sized dogs with just short legs. So they don't take up as much space and they can't get onto your tables and they can't get into your trash and things like that. And they're not tiny, like that kind of teacup type dog. So you don't feel like you're going to break them. So it's like all the right combination of things for this area. And then personally for me, um, for what I like in a dog, uh, smart, energetic, and always hungry and very easy to train because they are so food motivated. Look at this. Can you tell this guy's in sales? That was a great pitch. If I wasn't so uh, so attached to my bulldog, I think maybe my next buy would be a corgi. But uh, I can relate to the small square footage and a compact dog. That is, that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you are the VP of Revenue, Growth, and Enablement at Clary. Um, I know what those words mean individually, but what does that role mean for you at Clary? Yeah, when I told my older brother that um, this was my title, he said, that sounds like what they call my my son's kindergarten teacher. And I said, well, thank you. Yeah, growth and enablement. <laughs> it sounds about right. Um, it means something different every at every company. And my purview is a little bit unique and I think pretty cool. At Clary, what growth and enablement means is all of the teams or sub-teams that are literally responsible for creating and accelerating pipeline. So demand generation, field marketing, sales development, and sales enablement. We own the entire new business pipeline number, both creation and then acceleration um, via the various teams that we have. And that is our main charge. Our main charge is to produce enough qualified pipeline to support the revenue targets for our sellers. Love it. And, and I imagine that has some overlay with you know what Clary actually does. So for the folks who might not know, what, uh, what is Clary up to? 
Yeah, Clary is a revenue operations platform that is useful for people all across your revenue engine from marketing to SDR to sales to customer success, finance execs, your board of directors, whatever it is. It gives transparency and visibility into your forecast all the way from the individual rep level, all the way up to the total company level. So you know what's going to happen, not just this quarter, but also next quarter and two quarters from now. And it just gives you that confidence that you know what's going to happen using AI and machine learning and applying uh, sort of historical trends of your own pipeline inventory to your current pipeline to extrapolate and provide predictive results. And everyone loves predictable revenue. What's not to love? And uh, the forecast meeting can be a challenging one, uh, especially when it comes to predictability, what's really going on, what's what's a real deal, what's fluff. And uh, and we're also mutual clients. Full disclosure, Gong uses Clary and Clary uses Gong. That is true. And, and what an interesting time also to be uh, developing software in this space. I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts or perspectives on what you're hearing from customers in terms of revenue prediction, given the current macro environment. Yeah, it's a great question, Sheena. Um, You know, a lot of predictability is kind of out the window right now. You know, I mentioned that Clary uses uh, your Salesforce history, your CRM history to build a model to then predict future results. And (laughs) a lot of that history is kind of out the window. Uh, It's still useful. It's still directional, but it's not going to be as precise, perhaps, as, as it has been in the past. So what Clary has been really useful for now is really in response to remote workforces and remote management. So Clary is automatically harvesting all of these different signals from your sales and marketing tech stack and servicing them in a single place so that managers can always see exactly what's going on within every opportunity, within every account, without having to interrogate their reps. And then as, uh, as Clary's AI is learning, this kind of new normal and it's getting a better understanding for deal stage velocity and what a slip deal means and all these different things. The algorithm is um, correcting itself in real time. And we've seen it, it took about three to four weeks for uh, Clary's AI to become more accurate than a, a pretty interesting thing to watch. And it's actually, it's been uh, confidence inspiring for me as somebody who's hawking this software that our um, algorithms are as responsive as they are in real time to the actual things that's going on. Going back to your career a bit, you, uh, you've had a really interesting journey. I, I was looking at some of your posts where you talk about your, uh, you know, your career trajectory. Um, so you started out as an SDR at Looker uh, a few years back uh, before you joined Clary and are now um, in the in your current role as a VP of Revenue Growth. Can you talk to us a little bit about what your career path has looked like uh, looked like and if there are any if there's anything that we can learn from that and to folks who may be early in their career, what would advice would you give them? Yeah, this is a, this is a tough one. Um, you know, we could spend the rest of our time here talking about this, but my Prior to joining Looker, I spent three or four years after college just kind of bouncing around and trying my hand at different things and gaining experiences that I thought would be interesting. And I think that's a really important thing for people to to keep in mind is that this is not the 50s and 60s where you join IBM after high school or college or whatever, and then you're just in that same role for the next 40 years and you retire and you get your gold watch and you're on your way careers are different now and you owe it to yourself to explore a little bit um, and don't be afraid to bounce around either within the company that you're at 
or externally to, to new gigs. And, and that's what I did. You know, I picked up various skill sets from selling to web development, to marketing and messaging, positioning, copywriting. And then when I started at Looker, I was a sixth employee at Looker, um, kind of the first individual contributor on the sales and marketing side. And I was able to use all of that set of experiences that I had gained over the last three or four years to make a real impact and make a different sort of impact at that startup when we were six people and you have to be able to do pretty much everything. Um, so I was doing trade shows. I was doing website, uh, copy. I was, I was running sales cycles. I was doing pretty much everything that I could. And I couldn't have done that without the suite of experiences that I had before joining Looker. Um, so that's kind of my advice to, to the young, the young bucks out there that are trying to find their way. And then once you find the right track, so I realized that this SDR role was a really nice combination of what I enjoy, what's fulfilling to me and what I'm good at. And so I, it took me a while to find that right track. And once I did, I figured out the right way to sort of, you know, quote unquote, climb the ladder, um, build the scalable processes, figure out how to hire, figure out how to manage, do all the sorts of things that uh, are important to build a team and build a company. So career development is not a ladder that goes straight up. It is more like a rock wall where you need to be able to move laterally, horizontally, sometimes take a step back until you find those firm enough footholds that you can climb up. And that's what I ended up doing at Looker over the course of six years. Um, and then I'm trying to do here at Clary as well. You know, one question I have is how did you realize like this was the track for you? Was it a matter of looking at people who are more senior than you and imagining that you could be in that role? Was it really connecting and, and having a sense of passion and love for what you were doing on a day-to-day basis? Talk to us about that a bit. More, less about seeing people doing the role because back in 2013, 2014, there were sales development teams out there, but nowhere near the extent that they are now. So there weren't a ton of literal SDR leaders to look up to. There were plenty of sales leaders, but there weren't literally SDR leaders um, to the extent there are now. So I gravitated to doing what I was doing because it was personally fulfilling to me. Like I mentioned before, it is, I found it very exciting and rewarding to create processes from scratch that were able to scale and to be able to find ways to um, bring people on to to hire to think differently. Uh, you know, building a company in Santa Cruz, California, was always a bit of a challenge because the talent pool is not the most traditional talent pool. Let's say so we had to think creatively about the type of person that we wanted to bring on. And it was far less about check boxes on somebody's resume. And it was way more about this person's mindset and their aptitude to perform and how, what kind of passion they had, what kind of curiosity they had. So figuring out how to uh, hire people and then manage them and, and help them grow those two things, the process side and the personnel side. And thankfully Looker gave me pretty much complete ownership over those two things, personnel and process. And therefore it was just a really nice match for what was exciting to me, fulfilling to me. Let's pause on that concept for a moment, giving your work purpose. I found some interesting data from PwC's report, Putting Purpose to Work, a study of purpose in the workplace. They surveyed 1,500 employees, 500 of which were leaders, and learned that while business leaders prioritize the commercial value of purpose, employees see purpose as a way to bring meaning to their work and understand the contributions they're making to the company. And employees need to find this meaning in their daily work in order to be fully engaged. Here are the numbers that support that idea. 
79% of business leaders believe that purpose is central to business success and existence. Yet only 34% agree that purpose is a guidepost for leadership decision-making. For individual contributors, it's worth noting that 83% said they look for meaning in their day-to-day work. Leaders, however, find meaning through reputation for growth and innovation first, and distinction and differentiation second, at 72% and 63% respectively. Day-to-day work was their third pick. By now you might be thinking, what's the best way to communicate purpose? The report conveyed that employees prefer hearing about the impact of their work through client stories and leadership messages the most. There you have it, the data behind purpose and the starting point for your team. Coaching is something that you take um, to heart and I know you have a very like help-centric mindset. What were some of the early lessons that you learned or maybe some of the surprising lessons you learned as you went from an individual contributor into a manager you know, leadership role? I'm sort of ashamed to admit it now, Devin, because it's so obvious or it should be so obvious. But that said, I think a lot of first time managers and even seasoned managers make this mistake where they expect every individual contributor on their team to find success the same way that they did. And so they try and basically create a team of mini me's that are going around and and selling the same way they did or marketing the same way they did or just going about the day to day too similarly. And I tried that early on and it did not work super well. And so I mentioned, you know, one of my joys here is, is building processes that scale. And the right way to find the middle ground for me was to provide a process that was more of a framework. It was more like guardrails that if you operated within this process framework, you were going to find success, but that process is not overly prescriptive. So I'm not going to tell you exactly how to do every single thing, how to spend every single minute of your day. I can't, it doesn't make sense. You know, I'm not doing the work anymore. And so this process needs to continually evolve and that evolution has to be bottoms up. So I realized that my job as a manager, my job as a leader is to provide the context for what needs to happen and why it needs to happen. And to make sure that everybody all the way up and down the chain, every individual SDR, every manager, everybody knows what their role is in making that happen. And then expecting them to come up with the how, bottoms up. So what and why is top down and how it happens is bottoms up. How do you consistently and in a concise way continue to deliver that message of you know why we're here and what we're doing? It depends on exactly what's going on at the company, Devin. I would say that it changes for us at Clary basically every quarter or so, um, sometimes it's every six months, but we have higher level corporate strategies or growth team strategies that we're trying to make happen. What are the big rocks we're trying to move? We use our OKR format objectives and key results. So what is the main objective of the first half? And then we communicate all the way down, um, you know, again, to the individual SDR level and say, here's what we're trying to make happen. And we just brainstorm, what can your contribution be? What are the things that you can help do big or small in service of this broader strategy? And, and that's how we try and keep it alive. And then every, not every team meeting, but maybe twice or so a month, we check back in on those OKRs and we just look at the kind of progress we're making where we're blocked from a leadership or managerial level and where people can help us out. So we're always finding ways to pull people back in and get them involved and ensure that they understand that context all the way from the highest level down to their day-to-day work. Got it. Got it. It it sounds like this communication process is giving, is giving people's work purpose. 
right? Because if they can understand what the goal is and how they are a part of it, I imagine that has to have a positive impact on their motivation and their you know dedication and commitment to the company and the work at hand. That's very well said, Devin. It's, it's extremely important. And if you can, what I try and do as a leader is try and understand everybody at a personal level. And so again, what are the things for them that are intrinsically motivating? What are the things for them that are going to be most fulfilling and trying to align the work that they do day to day with those individual things about them that makes them different, that makes their contribution different. And if I can align those things that's unique to them individually to the purpose that you just mentioned from what we're trying to make happen and why, then that's the, the intersection of the Venn diagram that makes people really, really engaged. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, it has to do with results because at the end of the day, that's uh, you know it's what the CEO and the board cares about. But I also know that this approach has an impact on on the culture of the team. And so I'm curious, you know, as Clary has gone remote with the rest of the B2B world, what have you been doing to you know either maintain or evolve your culture as the landscape and you know the working landscape, if you will, has changed? It's a good question and we're still figuring it out. So I don't want to pretend like I have all of the answers here. I do know that in the first couple weeks of work from home, we definitely overcorrected. <laughs> we, uh, we moved a little bit too far in an over rotation sort of way where we were like, okay, we're going to have every day, every morning, we're going to have coffee. And then we're going to do a couple of happy hours every week. And we're going to do this fun Pictionary thing on this time. And we're going to do all hands meetings, bookending the week. And it just got exhausting, honestly, to sure. expect everybody to, to do all those extracurricular sort of things. So we dialed that back. We said, all right, maybe coffee twice a week and maybe a weekly all hands is okay. And we'll do one happy hour. So we found that right balance to keep people engaged at the team level. Um, it's been amazing how everybody has worked really hard with one another to kind of manufacture that camaraderie that went away um, after we stopped working out of the same location. And, you know, that camaraderie is so important for inside sales teams and for SDR teams in particular, because you feed up off each other's energy, learn from osmosis, uh, what's going on on the sales floor. And so what a lot of our team mates will do is pretty cool. This was out without uh, managerial direction. They just did this themselves. They'll just open up a Zoom room and they'll just sit in it all day. And sometimes they're talking to each other. Most of the time they're not, but it's just a way that they can see each other. And when they need something, they just come off mute and they ask a question, they get their answer and they go back about their day. Um, so it's taxing to their computers, <laughs> but it's worth it because it keeps everybody connected and ensures that we keep that camaraderie and that teamwork alive. We have something similar that we use. We don't run Zoom all day, uh, which reminds me of like back in the day, staying on the phone all night with your with your crush. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we have a, an app that we've been testing called Jam. I think it's J-A-M-M, -M, which kind of has a similar thing. It's kind of like your short form. It kind of fills that void of communication where it's a little too long to slack, but it's not quite worthy of like a 15, 30 minute Zoom call. Yep. And it's something where you can see folks online all the time. So if anyone finds themselves uh, trying to connect a little bit more, we've been testing that a little bit on our marketing team and we found found some success. You can uh, jam out with your colleagues. I, I love that, Devin. And another thing I would say is that not every conversation, like live conversation, has to be a meeting on the calendar. You have a phone and a feature of your phone is that it can call people. Pick up your phone and call your colleagues. Like that's been for me the best replication of the kind of the hallway conversation. You know, in the morning when I, when I would get into the office, I would, I used to love just to go around and just catch up with everybody Same. for, you know, three to five minutes. And I miss that. And so now randomly throughout the week, when I have some time, I just pick up my phone and I call it's, it's been really, really nice as a means to keep culture alive. 
You know, one of the things about the SDR organization is that they bring that energy and really create a, a great vibe when you're in the office with the team. And a lot of that's lost, you know, when we're all on Slack. And I think especially for SDRs, most of them are junior in their career. Many of them may not feel comfortable uh, commenting to a post that the entire company is gonna see, going to see. But really, they have the energy of the company. Have you found any way to bring that energy to life remotely? Yes, we have. It's kind of baked into our DNA, Sheena. So this actually wasn't a huge change post-COVID. This is something that we've done for a long time, and it's made much easier by the fact that so many of our senior leaders started as an SDR. Our CEO, our CRO, our CMO, myself, so many people across the company understand the grind and celebrate the grind. And I think the coolest thing that we have going right now is we have these Slack channels with Zapier integrations. So every time we create a new opportunity, set a new meeting, whatever it is, that uh, meetings channel gets hit with the Zapier integration that just celebrates this new meeting has been booked. And it's incredible that how much frequency with how much frequency our C-suite and AVPs and other people are, are monitoring that meetings channel and celebrating it. And asking the SDRs, how did you get this? Like, tell the story. And so we treat that every meeting set, we treat kind of like a a close one deal where our execs, our senior leaders are curious about how the SDR team is getting the results they're getting. And that's really cool. The other thing that we've done is we've created a Slack channel for people to share their best personalized messages. So across the whole company, uh, SDR sales, anybody who wants to join, we have a, a specific Slack channel that's just for sharing messaging success, basically. When I write a personal message, I did the research, I crafted this message, I sent it off and I get a really nice response. We share that and we celebrate it. And we- And we use that as a means to um, keep people inspired because it really is an inspirational exercise to go through and read. And like a lot of the LinkedIn posts that I'm writing for myself are just completely stealing the work of our SDR team and just basically taking the emails they share and posting them publicly because the work they're doing is really world-class and giving your company a way to celebrate that in real time is a really useful means for keeping everybody engaged. I also heard about another initiative that you launched. This is not exactly related to, and you know, continuing that energy and uh, and, and driving the culture, but ensuring that SDRs are successful. You launched SDR Freedom Week, where you stop tracking uh, your activity quotas across the team during this time. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what were the results of that? Yeah, I'm resisting the urge. You have no idea how hard it is right now. For me not to scream freedom like Braveheart. So I will, I'll spare you that. Um, <laughs> we tried to give the SDR team uh, as COVID was setting in, we tried to give them as much guidance as we could about what to do, what not to do, and those sorts of things. And we got feedback from one of our most senior SDR. She came to us and she said, thank you for trying, but you are confusing the hell out of us right now. Like, These directions are coming through all the different guidance and new sequences and documentation and all this sort of stuff was coming just way too fast for them to be able to keep up and to actually do anything with that advice. So our best intentions were really not that useful. And she said, can you slow down the information a little bit? Um, 
because we need to get our bearings here. We need to figure out what's going on and adjust, try to adjust to this, you know, this new lifestyle. And we said, we'll do you one better. We're just going to not give you any instructions <laughs> for the next week. And we're just going to see what you all can make happen. Like we don't exactly know the right tactics to deploy right now. We don't know the right means of execution right now for SDR. Everything we thought we knew is somewhat out the window. And, you know, some best practices probably still apply, but let's pressure test everything. So for five days, a couple weeks back, we said to the SDR team, we have zero expectations from you this week as far as the activities that you produce. I don't care how many calls you make. I don't care how many emails you send. I don't, I don't care about any of that. I just want you to take 40 hours and do the job how you think you'll get the best, the best results. And we just saw, you know, we just kind of sat back from a managerial perspective and we were there on call if they ever needed something, if they wanted to, you know, kick a crazy idea back and forth. But for the most part, it was just them doing their thing and trying out new tactics, experimenting a lot with video, trying new ways for electronic gift fulfillment, trying new um, sorts of messaging with different sorts of campaigns and incentives. Um, it was really, really cool to watch. And we, I wouldn't say that we're going to, you know, completely change any single thing about our process as a result. But it was really um, impactful because it, it bolstered my belief in this, this process evolution having to be bottoms up, you know, giving people just the framework for here's, you know, here's how to maintain the empathy in your outreach right now. And here's why it's more important than ever. But I'm not going to tell you exactly how to deploy it because I don't know. And you have to try it. And we're, we trust you. We hired you because you have a brain. You're smart. You're a strategic thinker, and we want you to put those brains to use. So help us figure it out. And it was a combined effort because of that. That's awesome. And giving that responsibility and account accountability and sense of ownership, uh, I think it can do wonders. And it makes people want to work harder and try things out maybe differently than they were doing before. And some of it will reach the, lead to results, and some of it may not. But at least you've taken that chance and tried collectively as an organization, as a team. Exactly, Sheena. And it was our best meeting week of the year. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> yep. So uh, I retired and our director of SDR <laughs> retired and we are now just kicking it in the Bahamas. Now, the team is incredible. Just doing podcasts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just doing podcasts. <laughs> I'm curious, Kyle, was there any one or two like really surprising outcomes? Like I know you said like the, the overall picture is we had the best week ever, which is awesome. But I'm wondering if like you said maybe video or was there just something that was maybe off the wall or unexpected? We were like, wow, I wouldn't have thought to try that, but glad we did. I, I probably not quite to that degree, Devin. People had, it, it's a continuation of a trend that I think we're going to talk about here in a second, which is this role is so much more about quality than quantity these days that we need to find ways for people to take more time and then allow people to take more time with their outreach. So we saw far fewer phone calls, like just a quantity of phone calls. And we saw way more video engagement um, via Vidyard or BombBomb and LinkedIn uh, video messaging, LinkedIn voice messaging. Those were the types of things that we saw people kind of gravitate toward and find success with. And so those are the types of tactics that we weaved in now to our, our weekly metrics mix. A side note, I, I do enjoy a good LinkedIn audio message. Those were a pleasant surprise as I started getting those, uh, both both from prospecting uh, efforts and people just saying, what's up? Yep. So, so that was cool. And, and I do want to get into that because there's something that you, you've you talked about on LinkedIn and as someone who, um, I was never an SDR myself, but when I got into sales, I was full self-source and was closing. So I definitely understand the grind. There's kind of this like 
mentality that I think is part bred from people being junior and new into the corporate world. And then the other part is SDR is not always getting a seat at the table as an organization. Mm -hmm. So help me understand a little bit, where does this feeling that SDR say, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm just an SDR, you know, what, what can I do or what voice do I have? Where do you think that comes from and what can sales leaders do to ensure that SDRs feel like a valued part of their company? It's a really good question that does not have a simple answer, but I, I will say that that sentence that you just said, Devin, I'm just an SDR, is probably like the most triggering thing for me in a professional setting. I, I hate it when I hear that. I, I just think it downplays the contribution of SDRs to the business, and it's a self-admission of this kind of defeatist mindset, just putting yourself down unnecessarily. So avoid that at all costs. It's not helpful really in any way. And the reason that a lot of SDRs have this mindset is because a lot of sales leaders have this mindset that SDRs are cogs in a machine and numbers on a dashboard and are replaceable. And their only real contribution is one of volume output. And that just simply is not the case. It may have been the case 10 or 15 years ago, kind of in the, in the height of predictable revenue, the Aaron Ross model of how to SDR. But those days are, are pretty far behind us at this point. You know, I used to be able to say, if I make 50 calls today, I know that I will get two meetings. You cannot say that anymore. Things are way more complex than that now. There are so many different outreach channels. Um, so many of these channels are completely inundated with garbage that you need to take the time to find, uh, to, to find ways to stick out. And the best see, uh, sales leadership, the best leaders for SDRs are ones who recognize this and recognize that this job is very, very difficult. Getting the door open is not as hard as, as getting it closed and closing, a business, closing deals, but it's really difficult. And the sales leaders that celebrate this, that include SDRs in the win reports, that are celebrating them in these Slack channels that I mentioned before, that, are, that know the SDRs by name and reach out to them, um, the AEs who think of their SDRs as strategic partners and not as secretaries. It's, it's all up and down the chain just from a mindset perspective to respect the contribution. And if you can do that as a company, as a leader, then you will usher in a sea change and your SDRs will thank you for it. And I think the point that you mentioned earlier that all of your leadership kind of grew up in as SDRs, they've all had experiences with that. It probably makes such a huge difference. Like they've been in those shoes and celebrating the wins of your SDRs is also so critical. I've been at organizations where this, the win of the AE was what was you know put on the loudspeaker. Like that's what was celebrated. And the voice was not given at all to the SDR who brought in the opportunity up front. Right. And um, it's, it's the whole life cycle. It's, it's the whole process that leads to success for the, for the company. Exactly. Yeah. That's very well said. So Kyle, you know, we talk a lot about data. Your product is clearly a data driven product. How do you use data to influence your day-to-day decision-making? This is a this is a lovely question, and I think a, a more complex one that a lot of that a lot of people give it credit for. Um, and I say this having spent the last seven years working for data companies, so I'm predisposed to believe in data. And I think there's a balance, and there's a balance between getting doing the research and, and getting the data, and trusting your gut. And we mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, uh, rising through the, the ranks from a seniority perspective. And what I have found over the years is the more senior I've gotten, 
the more ambiguous things become and the less data there is to guide decision-making. And so for me, data is directional and it is the means by which you get confidence to go in a, in a certain direction, but leadership and, and is the, is having the confidence to course correct when things inevitably go wrong. Like you, you're never just going to create a plan. That's a hundred percent spot on for every eventuality that you're going to come across. You need to have the confidence that you can uh, evaluate things in real time. Again, using the data that you hopefully are able to receive after you launch something and pivot accordingly and just continue to make informed decisions until you can pivot um, enough to find the right sort of methodology that will scale. Um, so that's kind of from a process standpoint, and especially when you're a smaller company and, and things are necessarily more ambiguous because you're figuring a bunch of things out at the same time. Data is extremely important, but it's not everything. Uh, you will never have every answer to every question that you ask, and you have to be able to just make a decision, stand by it, and then be willing to change your mind if you're proven wrong. I would say a guy coming from Looker and then to Clary, I, I feel like, you know, data might be your middle name at this point. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, it's been legally Should um, update LinkedIn. <laughs> Speaking of LinkedIn, you discuss the changes in the SDR function over time quite a bit. What are your thoughts on where SDR as a function is going to go over time? I think it's going to continue to become more and more of a strategic role that is going to be working even more tightly with account executives, with sales engineers, not just to get in the door for add new accounts, but to help deals progress through the cycle. Um, so becoming more of a partner with the AE for ongoing work uh, until a deal is closed. So that trend is already happening in, in a lot of ways. And I think it's a really good one. So getting away, as I mentioned before, from the quantity-based output-based evaluation of the role and way more toward quality and impact to open up the door as well as to see things through to close. The last question that we're going to leave you with, Kyle, and we ask all of our guests this question as we end the podcast, how would you describe sales in one word? This is hard. Um, I, I'm going to, I run the risk of sounding like a broken record here again, because I've used this word a number of times throughout this podcast, but I think the right one is strategic. I, I really don't think you can do this job thoughtlessly. Uh, SDR, AE, sales engineer, marketing, like you really need to think strategically about who you're reaching out to at what point, what you're saying to them and why you need to do all of these things. And they all need to be happening in concert with one another. And the buying process is becoming more and more complicated. And if you don't have a strategy, that's all encompassing of all those various complications, you're not going to succeed. So building that strategic muscle is extremely important. And I realize that this has been way more than one word. It's okay. The question kind of prompts itself as in a headline of one word, but then you have to describe why that word. So don't worry. You, you, you did great. Uh, and, I, and I would agree. I, I would agree. And I think it does. It goes back to what you're saying about the future of SDRs and, and why they're often um, misperceived in terms of their value is they're bringing a whole lot more to the table than mass outreach, uh, at mm -hmm. least the successful ones today. So I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I was not an SDR um, in any of my past experiences, but I tell SDRs that I meet now that you have the hardest job and you are building skills that are going to you know, transform you and set you up regardless of what function you end up going into over time. Um, it is, uh, you know, it's such a critical role for every company. So I, pr I appreciate your perspective on that. Kyle, thanks again for stopping by. Um, 
by the time we record this, folks might already have seen it, but we have an upcoming webinar as well. We'll put, put the link in the episode notes if you guys want to check it out. Kyle sharing some great insights around how to be an effective sales emailer. So things that definitely apply to AEs, SDRs, and managers alike. Kyle, thanks again for stopping by. Been a pleasure, Devin. Thank you, Sheena. For this week's micro action, just as the episode title suggests, we're going to help you bring that sales floor energy to your remote sales team. Kyle shared how he uses the Slack integration so the entire org has visibility into the daily wins of his sales team. And we do the same thing here at Gong. We have a sales channel that lets the entire company see sales wins and celebrate with them. It's especially helpful in keeping the team inspired and momentum going while working from home. With the Slack and Zapier integration, you can see when SDRs book new meetings, you can share AE wins, and you can give your CS and account managers a shout out for renewals and upsells. This is something you can do this week, and it's a great way to start Q3. But if you're like me, you might want to call an IT to help get it set up. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.